you are fair people. Do you know what I mean by fair people? Like you like the fair. Like when, when you get excited every summer about the fair, not the color of your skin, but do you like the county fair? I'll be honest with you. Are you a fair person? Hold your hand up. Be brave. Come on. Yeah, there's a few of you out there. I'll be honest. I'm, I'm not a big fair guy. I like the fair. I don't dislike the fair. I can live with it or I can live without it. But when I was a kid, we used to go to the Clay County Fair in Northwest Iowa, a little town called Spencer. Clay County is a, a county of about 16,000 people, but the fair, nine days long, it's one of the largest in the United States, over, it averages over 310,000 people over nine days. To compare it for some of you around here, like the Elkhart County Fair is uh, in 2017 had just over 202,000 people over nine days. So it's a big deal and there's nothing to do in Iowa. So everybody goes to the Spencer Fair. That's what we do. And when I was a kid, I would love going. I've got so many just joy-filled memories from going to the fair as a kid, like the giant slide. That's a picture of the slide that was so cool. Uh, I didn't know though that it wasn't maybe as cool to my parents because it cost $5 every time you went down it. But it was awesome. And then they had these, um, these little, they had this building full of trains. You could go in and watch this big model train set up. And they had Tom Thumb Donuts, you know, like the little fried donuts. That's just kind of the local brand out there. And they had this big, you know, trailer and it said Tiny Donut Factory. And as a kid, you could watch the donuts get made kind of like a, a mini Krispy Kreme and they'd float along and they get covered with sugar at the end. They're so good. I can taste them right now. How about you? Yeah, like if you're missing the fair, I bet you're really missing the fair food. That's what you're missing. Corn dogs are fantastic. But I, uh, one of the things at the fair, though, where there were always tons of people gathered around, no, no matter when you went, every year, there was this one booth where there were just people kind of stacked up around it, looking and watching. And we would always kind of stop, and it was really curious, and it was this. Maybe you've seen this at the fair or carnival or festival. Uh, Fool the guesser. You ever see that? Where there's a guy there and he's guessing things about you. And maybe you buy a ticket and you get up and he's going to guess your age. Within a couple years, he's going to guess your weight within a couple pounds. Going to guess the month that you were born in. And uh, fool, it was always, there were just tons of people and you just thought, man, that guy's either really loved or really hated doing that job. And I thought, let's play that today. Husbands, don't play it at home, but we can play it today. Right? So I brought my scale from home. It's a smart scale. And uh, I hooked it up to the TV. And I thought maybe you might like to try to guess my weight. Anybody brave enough? Callie, what do you got? 227. Let's step on the scale and find out. It's thinking. And 227. There, I like that better. How about you? Sorry, Callie, you're way off, way off. But you know, I wonder what if we could rewire this thing? 227 is correct, by the way. Your, your dad will buy you whatever you want at Target next week. Um, imagine if we could rewire this in such a way that it, instead of just uh, showing my weight, we could have it show the level of joy in me or in you? What if instead of a scale, it was a joyometer? What would it reveal about your joy? 
You know, I think a lot of people go through life, um, if we're honest, probably many of us even, and our joy is pretty low. It's maybe around a one. Like we have moments of joy and times where, where we're full of joy and there's good things that happen and, and, and joy abounds in our life. Uh, but it's, if we're honest, it's not very often. And then there's some who maybe, I don't know, I do okay, but it's not, it's still not all the time. It's like maybe half the week I have joy. But the other half of the time, I just, if I'm honest, like there's just, there's nothing going on there, Josh. It's, it's awful. And then there's a few who they would rate theirs as a 10. It'd pop up as a 10 on the joyometer. And they live with this abounding, abiding, deep, and settled joy. And no matter what circumstance comes along, no matter what they might be struggling with, no matter what happened at work this week, or even uh, the way maybe they're feeling, if they even, uh, maybe you're in this boat and you even struggle with things like depression or else, or other things like that. But deep down, there's, there can still be this abiding joy that's, that's rooted in Jesus Christ. Do you know, that's the joy that Jesus offers us. That's the joy he offers to give to us as we abide in him, that he offers to grow in us by the power of his spirit. And today we're going to talk about that joy. So uh, this morning, as, uh, as we get going, uh, let me pray. And we're going to be talking about, about joy today. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that, Jesus, you uh, are full of joy. And not only that, but you offer us your joy so that our, our joy could be full, that we could live at that, that level of just deep, abiding, constant joy. Would you do that in us? And Jesus, you tell us that that happens as we abide in you, as we stay close to you, as we walk in step with your spirit. So Holy Spirit, would, in your power today, would you draw us close and encourage us and help us to walk close to you and close to Jesus. We pray all this through him. Amen. Well, we're in a series called The Fruit of the Spirit. And in Galatians chapter five, Paul writes this. He says that uh, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I wonder if you've been memorizing that this week? Uh, Keep working on it, and you can even be praying about those things, that God would ripen that fruit in your life. And this morning, we're going to key in on this fruit of joy. We're going to be talking about joy. You know, last week, we saw that uh, Jesus compares our lives to a vineyard, and that he, he, he wraps that up, we're going to see today, by saying that I teach you and say all these things so that my joy can be in you, and your joy can be full. That's what he says. Now he says, my joy could be in you. Well, here's the thing you need to know right off the bat today. Jesus is eternally joyful. And because Jesus is God, you could just simply say, God is eternally joyful. Now, how many of you, if you're honest, you're like, um, Josh, but when I think of God, I think of like kind of glum, seriousness, upset with me, probably angry with me, doesn't really like me joyful? Like when I think of God, I just think, man, he must be so 
so angry. God is joyful, friends. He's incredibly joyful. And it shows up all over Scripture. You know, sometimes I think part of the reason why we struggle to think of God as joyful, and Jesus in particular, is because of some of the artwork that depicts him that we've grown up with. I mean, uh, some of these paintings, I know this one for sure was in the church I grew up in. Maybe it was in yours. Um, And Jesus just, I don't know, he looks very serious, very somber, very laid back. Would you agree? Now, for the record, I mean, these are, we, most cultures tend to paint Jesus in according with what, what their standard of male beauty might be. So in this case, Jesus has long hair, blue eyes, perfect skin. He was actually a pretty normal looking Arab guy. He probably didn't look anything like any of these pictures. But also, I think his countenance was a lot different than any of these pictures. Because Jesus, we're going to see in a moment, was incredibly joyful. I came across this image that somebody sketched of Jesus, I don't know, probably 15, 20 years ago. And I love it because it shows just Jesus' joy, doesn't it? I mean, who would you rather hang out with? One of those first three guys or this guy? This depicts Jesus, I think, so much more true to form to who he was, to to who he is, than what we saw before. I mean, friends, you ever thought about it? Did Jesus ever laugh? Was he really joyful? Did he ever laugh? Well, he was perfectly human, totally human. Can you imagine going through life never, ever laughing? Everyone's experienced laughter to some degree. Surely Jesus laughed. Part of imaging God is is our laughter. It's part of that experience. And the the picture of Jesus we find in the the Bible is one of this this well-rounded, healthy, uh, you might even say magnetic personality. I mean, think about uh, some of these realities of Jesus' joyfulness. He tells his disciples at one point, uh, look at this in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? He's talking about himself. He's like, can you guys be all glum and gloomy when I'm around? How can you be down when I'm here? Cheer up. I mean, Jesus was joyful. He, he told the disciples, not, he said, there'll, there'll be days to mourn, but today's not one of them. I'm, I'm here with you. It's not worth mourning today. The very fact that we have a sense of humor indicates that God does too, as we image him. And Jesus was joyful. In fact, he, he, was, he was accused at times of being too joyful. Look at this from Luke chapter 7. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him. He's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You know what we, we understand here? Jesus was invited to a lot of parties. Do you invite people who are glum and gloomy and sad and always, you know, do you invite Eeyore to the party? Not very often. You invite the people who are, you want to be the life of the party. You want it to be fun. Jesus was invited to all the parties. He was joyful. He was accused of being too joyful. He's a glutton. He's hanging out with them so much, having so much fun. He's a drunk. Of course he wasn't. But his joyfulness, I believe, was contagious. I mean, everyone appreciates laughs and good humor. And to say that Jesus never expressed joy in that way, I don't think is true to his full humanity. In fact, you know, Jesus even evidenced, I believe, his humor in his teaching In Jewish culture in that day, do you know what was funny? 
Uh, it wasn't some guy standing on a, a scale pretending to weigh himself. It was uh, exaggeration. And it was exaggeration that would cause people to laugh. So when, when Jesus says things uh, like uh, he's teaching about, you know, uh, don't judge that person. Before you judge them for the speck in their own eye, why don't you take the log out of your eye? I think people would have probably laughed at that when he said it because that was a form of humor in that day. Or when he talks about, uh, you can read about this, multiple commentators agree with this, and uh, that when uh, he talked about a camel going through the eye of a needle, again, exaggeration. I think Jesus used humor even in his teaching or what would have caused people to kind of chuckle and step back and go, oh, and then evaluate things about their life. He was joyful. Even way back, let's just go to the Old Testament. How about in Genesis chapter one, after God creates everything, what does he say about it? He steps back after creating everything and what's he say? Hey, this is what? Good, this is good. Do you say that about something if you're really grumpy? No, I mean, there's joy there. Yeah, this is good. Look what I made. This is fantastic. The psalmist agrees with that too, that there's joy in his creation. Look at Psalm 65, just as one example. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. Later, in uh, a couple verses later, he says this, the meadows clothe themselves with flocks, the valleys deck themselves with grain. They, they shout and sing together for joy. It's representative of the joy of the Lord. Jeremiah 32, I rejoice in doing them good. 1 Timothy 1, 11, uh, Paul writes this. He, he talks about uh, the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. You know, that word blessed in Greek could actually be translated rightly as happy. The glory of the happy God. Friends, God is joyful. Incredibly joyful. And in, in fact, Jesus even, he invites us to enter into the joy of our master. There's joy in Jesus Christ. I wonder where are you ranking today on the joy o meter? One more evidence of Jesus' joyfulness. Have you ever seen a little kid run to somebody who's grumpy? Do they ever run to the really grumpy, staunch old man and say, "Pick me up?" Not very often. Usually, kids are attracted to those who are joyful, and Jesus had kids around him often. And they, they loved him. It's evidence of his joyfulness. Well, Jesus is eternally joyful. And friends, he offers you, he offers me his joy. Perfect joy. Abiding joy. Deep joy. That even in the midst of, of incredible suffering, in Jesus' case, incredible loneliness at the cross, incredible bearing our shame, he still had joy. In fact, the closer he got to the cross, the more he talked about joy. If you go read the Gospels, he talks more about joy the closer he gets to his suffering on the cross. So if we're going to get his joy that makes it through even the hardest things in life. We should maybe have a, a short definition of joy on the table. Sound good? So let's define it this way. Uh, joy is this. It's a gladness of heart that results from knowing God personally. It, it's a gladness in my heart. It's not just simply an emotion. It's often evidenced by emotion physically in my life, right? 
not every moment of every day, but it's evidenced at times in my life. But it's, it's more than just that surface emotion. It's a deep emotion of the heart and of the soul. It's a gladness, like in the very, uh, just the, the, the pit and the stillness of who you are. <clears throat> a gladness. And it comes from knowing God personally through Jesus Christ. Now, part of this definition as we continue here is borrowed from John Piper, but uh, we could say this too, it's produced by the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit causes to grow in us because of our relationship to God personally through Jesus Christ. And, and, and the Holy Spirit causes me to see Jesus' glory and to see his beauty in his word and in the world. Notice it doesn't say that uh, the Holy Spirit causes all of my life to go perfectly and then that creates great joy in my life. Now that's just like simple surface level happiness based on happenings. Now happiness is part of the Christian life. It, it comes out of that joy, but, but sometimes like a, a, a surface level happiness that, that we often fall into the trap of pursuing, we relate it only to our circumstances. You know, if, if this gets better, then I'll be joyful. If, if that person would move away, or if that person would finally talk to me, or if, if, if this thing would happen, if I could lose this weight, if whatever the case, then I would be happy. Well, those are circumstantial. Man, those things, they, they flee, but the, the joy that the Holy Spirit produces in us, he causes us to see Jesus' glory, which is eternal and lasting and unending. And it's a deep gladness in my heart. Do you see the difference? That's the joy that Jesus had, and that's the joy that he offers. So uh, it's worth asking, what gave Jesus joy because uh, the night before he's crucified, he prayed this in John 17. He, he, and by the way, he prayed this for his disciples. And then it says, uh, as he was praying, he says, I pray this not just for my disciples, but for everybody who would believe after them, according to their word. Who's that include? Ultimately, everyone in this room, if you believe in Jesus Christ, Jesus is praying for you right here. Check it out. He says to the Father, now I'm coming to you. This is the night before he was crucified on the cross. And these things I speak in the world. He just spoke to them a whole ton about abiding in him. We're going to talk about that. Why? That they, you and I, may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus prayed for your joy. Jesus isn't angry with you. He's not like just looking at you like, would you get it together already? No, man, he loves you. He's pre he prayed for your joy. Now, is he serious about sin and about this? Yeah, all that stuff for sure. But, but ultimately, he's patient with us because he loves us and he wants us to know his joy, friend. He loves you. So it begs the question, what was Jesus' joy? Well, it, this wouldn't be a good sermon on joy without using kind of the cheesy Christian acronym for joy. Do you know it? It's cheesy because you maybe heard it before, but it's still really true. that You really spell joy like this by focusing first on Jesus and then on others and then yourself. That you love Jesus and you love others like you already love yourself. But often, instead of pursuing joy, I pursue yaj. That's joy backwards, if 
you needed some help. I pursue my, my own, myself, and then others, and then Jesus, and, and I, I get it totally out of order, and I go, why am I not happy? Why am I not joyful? I don't get it. So let's look at Jesus' joy, because he promises to give us his joy. He prayed that we would have his joy, and we've already seen that he's joyful. We could spend even more time there if we wanted to. But at the same time, maybe you've already thought this. You, you say, well, Josh, Jesus was joyful, but I also read in Scripture, I think of Isaiah 53, where uh, surely he's a man acquainted with grief and with sorrow, and he's bore the sins of many on the cross. And how's that line up? Well, that seems like a paradox between, you know, he's, he's acquainted with grief, but he's joyful. How do those two things go together? Well, again, we could spend a whole series on some of this, but let me just give you a few examples, I think, of where Jesus' joy was rooted. First off, Jesus' joy was rooted uh, in others in many ways because even in his suffering, when you combine those things, why did he suffer? Why was he willing to suffer? Because he loves me. Because he loves you. His suffering was others' focus. So, so in other words, it was joyful, I would imagine everyone in this room, you, you have someone in your life, if you're a parent, maybe it's one of your kids, uh, but there's someone where you would say, you know what, uh, if it meant good for them, I would gladly suffer loss. And it might really hurt me, and you know it ahead of time, and you're going, that's going to be really painful, it's going to cost a lot, it's going to maybe set my career way back, whatever that is, but, but man, I would totally give that up for them and even though that's painful and it hurts and it's hard, ultimately it brings me joy. That's part of Jesus' joy. In his suffering, it was for you and for me. Not only this, but, but Jesus' suffering, it was, it was the joy of suffering. It was others-focused, but it was also uh, focused on God's will. So uh, again, back to, back to God, he had a, he had a heart for God's will to be accomplished, the sweetness of his will, trusting that even in the midst of incredibly hard and, and frustrating things, God was still in control. So you might think too of God's sovereignty. It was total control over everything all the time. That, that, that Listen, if even as Jesus is teaching, he's like, uh, why are you so worried? Like, like God sees you. He knows every sparrow that falls out of the tree. He knows about everything you're going through too. And he cares deeply. And he's in control. Even when everything feels out of control. And Jesus found joy deep down in that. And even as in his humanity, he, he prayed, right? Like, Father, if, if it be your will, take this cup from me. I don't, I don't want to go through this. And uh, he, was, he was anxious, sweating to the point of, of blood. But, but deep down, there was joy there that was rooted in Trusting God's sovereignty in his will, knowing he was ultimately in control. Joy's rooted there, not just in circumstances. And, you know, there's another source of joy for Jesus in that he rejoiced in the future of what was ahead. Hebrews 12, verse 2, says that he, he went to the cross and he suffered for what? Do you know it? For the joy that was what? Set before him. He knew that, that in the future, this was worth it. And there, there's joy coming. 
Romans tells us that God, if, you, if you've trusted Jesus Christ, he's, God is working to make you more and more like Jesus, which includes giving you his joy, and, and that ultimately he'll take the worst of the worst things in this life, and somehow, I don't get it, but he does it, and he, he, he orchestrates them for ultimately our good. He doesn't call it good, but he orchestrates it towards a good end, even if that good end isn't until we see Jesus face to face in eternity. And trust me, that's, that's so much better than any suffering we have to go through now. It's worth it. But the joy set before, we could talk about more and more about Jesus' joy. But, but it's just amazing to think that in the midst of, of all of, of his suffering, of all of his anxiety, of everything going on, he still had deep joy. How about you? In the midst of everything happening right now in our world, we're in between uh, the Democratic and Republican conventions. There's an election coming. I don't know who you're voting for. Vote. I'd encourage you to do that. Are you anxious about it? There's a pandemic going on. Have you noticed? You still got to wear a mask? Are you frustrated or are you joyful? Are you, are you anxious about his school going to get called off this week or next week or next month or next year? What's going to happen? We're going to talk about peace next week. So hang on to that thought. Another fruit of the spirit. But listen, Jesus' joy, it was, it, was, it was others' focus. It was focused on God's will, and, and we can follow that model. But ultimately, Jesus promises to give us his joy. He offers us his joy as we stay close to him. When I was a youth pastor, I'd often tell students, you become like the people you hang out with. That's who you, that's who you ultimately become like. They rub off on you. You want to have Jesus' joy? Hang out with him. It'll rub off on you by the power of his spirit growing it in you. Uh, in fact, uh, just read with me here in, in John chapter 15. We, we looked at this last week, but let's look at it again. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father's the vine dresser. And as he keeps going, he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it might bear more fruit. Already, he says, you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. If you've trusted Jesus, you've put your faith in him, you are clean in his sight. You're clean. He doesn't, I mean, you still sin, you still struggle, right? But he doesn't see you as a sinner. Do you know, uh, in the New Testament, um, there's only, uh, almost every time sinner is mentioned, it's almost never with the exception of, of two or three places, and a couple of which are disputed, that it refers to a Christian. When it refers to a Christian, they're in Christ. And if you're in him, you are clean. You got that? You're already clean. So he says, since you're clean, live like it. Verse four, abide in me. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And, and he continues on in verse five, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and who stays close to me is what he's saying. And I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Notice whoever abides in me and I in him. It's, it's this relationship of combination with Jesus Christ, of, of living connected with him, close to him, do you want his joy? That, that's, that's what you need to do. You're going to see it here in a moment. He's teaching them. This is the, the 
the day before he's crucified, he said, by this my Father is glorified that you would bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. In fact, as the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Abide, stay in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And then he says this, look at verse 11. These things, all of this about abiding, about staying close. Jesus is like, I say all this for this reason, that my joy might be in you and that your joy may be full. How many of you are like, yeah, give me that. (laughs) Jesus is telling you how. Staying close to him, abiding in him. He's like, this is why I'm telling you this. This is where there's joy. Abide in me. Now, we could talk a lot about this, but... um, Maybe I'll just give you a few things here this week that we can kind of focus on and do together and work on abiding and seeing God's joy grow in our lives. Some of you, you're already doing this. Some of you, maybe you struggle in this way. Some of you, this is a great opportunity to start. And and let me just give you three things. And and it's gonna start with you being in God's word, being in his word. I'm gonna give you a passage of scripture here in a moment as we close this morning and challenge you to be in it every day, just one verse, five minutes, and just think about it. And what what you're going to do is when, see, you know why it's called God's word? Because it's him speaking to us. It's his word to us. And so uh, you're going to start each day. I'm going to encourage you to, to open up Psalm 119 each morning. And if you forget that, just think Psalm 1. That works too. Anywhere is great. But Psalm 119, in those first few verses, and you're going to open up, you're going to read verse 1. We're going to try it together here in a moment. But, but as you do, you're going to hear from God. And here's what Jesus says about his word. Uh, back in uh, uh, John 17, 17, sanctify them. He prayed this for us in the truth. And he says, Lord, your word is truth. This is what's going to change you and change me. So you want Jesus' joy to be sprouting up, growing that fruit in your life? Get in this book. See, it's pretty cool to have it on your phone. Would you agree? I love having it on my phone. I love it. But it, it doesn't mean a hill of beans if it's not getting into my heart. If it just stays on this little device. So after I read his word, then the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to pray about it. See, if this is God's word to me, then me praying is my response to him and this conversation begins. Now, some of you do this really well already. But, but even if you do, I challenge you, start afresh again, even this week. And if you haven't ever thought of it this way, maybe this would be helpful to you. And by the way, if you're already going, hold on, Josh, Jesus said that uh, if you abide in me, you're going to obey. So why aren't you talking about obedience? Well, because when you, stay, when you stick your nose in this book, it's going to cause you to want to obey. This is where it starts. Get in his word. And, and pray. And then I'm going to challenge you to do one more thing, to meditate on his word. And then we're going to practice it a bit. See, Colossians 3.16 says to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Some of you, you've seen me uh, do this before, but uh, just humor me again. Imagine uh, this is your life, right? And this is God's word. And you're going to let God's word just dwell in your life this week. And you're going to 
spend some time. You're going to open up God's word and you're going to think about it and maybe pray about it. And Okay, I got my time done. I'm going to head off about my day now. And you're going to do that. Maybe you've tried that. And after a few days, you're like, this isn't making any difference, Josh. Like, I'm still the same. Forget this. And you let it go. And you're done. Well, Paul tells us to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Richly. Well, what's it mean for it to dwell in you richly? Well, let's, let's start over here and uh, we'll just let God's word dwell in us for a while. And that's this meditating part. Don't be scared of that word. Just think, I'm thinking, if that's easier for you to, to stomach, I'm, I'm thinking about God's word. I'm thinking about who he is often. Hebrews tells us to think a lot about Jesus. I'm going to meditate on his word. So imagine we, we open up together this week. If you open up Psalm 119, I'll be right about in the middle of your Bible. And we're just going to start with verse 1. Maybe you can start today. You can start tomorrow. But just, here's what I would challenge you to do. One verse, five minutes. I'm going to guess, if you stick with this, by the end of the week, it's going to be 10 minutes. And you're going to want more. See, so let's just think about this. I open up to Psalm 119.1 in the morning, and I read, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Just that one verse. Maybe I read it again. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Lord, that's your word to me. And then I, I pray. I respond to him in prayer as part of this. I, Lord, you say blessed are those whose way is blameless. Lord, you know that I know my way this week, my thoughts, the things I've said, the things I've done, it has been anything but blameless. You tell me if I would be blameless, I'd be blessed. Would you help me to be blameless through Jesus? You offer to make me blameless and to change me. Would you change me? And you see how this just spurs this conversation now with God and you're responding to him in prayer. And you go on who, who walk in the law of the Lord. Lord, I haven't walked according to your ways. And, um, and you, you, just, you just dwell on that and think about it. But then... You, you pray about it, but then just spend some time to sit in it for a while. So if we go back to verse 1 and to think about it, you know, maybe you just let one of those words kind of be emphasized as you read through it again. Uh, Lord, blessed are those whose way is blameless. Blessed. What would it look like? And you can just respond to him in prayer. You can just sit and think about it, but to, to let his word begin to dwell in you richly. Blessed. What? Lord, what would you want to bless my life with? What would it be like if my family, the, the fabric of my family just totally changed and you blessed us, not necessarily with material wealth, but just with peace in our family, with joy? Lord, what would that be like? Would you do that? Blessed are those who, whose way is blameless. Lord, you know I'm not blameless, but I know that Jesus is and he makes me blameless. Thank you for Jesus. The blame doesn't fall on me, but Jesus took all of it on the cross for me. And you can just meditate on that and think on that. And you ever do that? And like even on the worst days, like all of a sudden, like there's just something deep down you're going, huh, yeah, I got a little joy. 
can feel it. A little peace. And those things begin to, to grow and settle in your heart as you spend time in his word. Who walk in the law. Lord, I, I know it's not a race. So many times I've just gotten going and I've taken off running and I just get tired. And Lord, help me just to walk with you moment by moment. It's not a race. Just to walk in the light of your word. You see what I'm doing? I'm just slowing down. Maybe that's a better way to say it. Just, just slow down. Think about it. Respond to God in his word. Just, just take one, one verse every day. To, then Tuesday, you might be on verse two. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. And then verse three and four and five and six. And by the time we come back Saturday or Sunday, you're going to be on verse seven. Lord, I will, you'll read it that morning. I'll praise you with an upright heart. And that five minutes will be longer than five minutes by then, I guarantee it. And, and you'll be dwelling on that and thinking about it. And you'll come in next Sunday morning going, I will, I will praise you with an upright heart. You're going, to be, you're going to be fired up. You're going to be ready to sing. People are going to be looking at you because you're clapping and so excited. And you're not going to care. And it's going to be a great day. See, what happens is as you respond to God's word, Jesus says that he offers you his joy as you stay close to him, as you abide in him. Paul says it, you know, by uh, letting God's word dwell in you richly. See, if I just kind of, I just dip it and I don't really think about it, don't let it dwell. At the end of the week, the end of the day, I kind of smell the same, kind of taste the same, kind of look the same. But I'm telling you, I think if you would do this this week, even just those five minutes, it's about how long this has been sitting, and you would just uh, do that and dwell on the word of the Lord and meditate on it, you'll smell a little different by the end of the week. You'll look a little different. Taste a little better to those around you. And I think God's joy and his fruit, the fruit of the spirit will begin to blossom and ripen in your life. You up for the challenge? Psalm 119, verse a day. If you forget that, just think Psalm, Psalm 1. Start there. It's easy. Let me pray.